This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, my name is Ricky Smith, and I'm the founder of Random Acts of Kindness Everywhere, a nonprofit that simply does exactly what it says. Promote kindness everywhere. We know the world is crazy right now. If you are searching for a podcast that has a deeper conversation about race, my co-host Angel Gray and I will be discussing everything going on right now on our podcast, Random Acts of Podcast on Blue Wire Podcast Network. To find out more, go to rakenow.org. Enjoy the show. Welcome in to the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the June 12th episode, and we, as always, are dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I am your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Rant. We started with Mount Rushmore fantasy football last week with Evan Silva, and we simply continue on the mount today with the co owner here at Rotoviz, the OG at Rotoviz, Sean Siegel. He's the author of the original Zero RB article, of course, infamous, the 2013 NFFC Primetime Grand Champion, an 11-time Main Event League winner, and the 2015, 2017, and 2018 Champion in the MFL 10 of Death. If that's not a resume, folks, I don't know what is. Just a tremendous fantasy football mind. He has a weekly podcast here at Rotoviz with Colm Kelly, which I never miss, called Rotoviz Overtime. A premier follow on Twitter at FF underscore Contrarian. Sean Siegel, thanks so much for coming on. It's an honor to have you back on the mailbag. Well, it's, it's always great to be here. The mailbag is, is one of our most fun shows and uh, love to get questions from the from the group and we've got a, a great show today based on what Mike's put together. So it, it should be a fun one. Sean, the Rotoviz site has been a staple, a, a mainstay, if you will, of fantasy football for so many years. There's incredible content. The changes that have, that have happened at Rotoviz over the last two years or so have been incredible. Amazing resource, tremendous content. Why don't you give us a rundown here of some of the great updates and new additions we have on the site? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's so much going on. It's, it's hard to, uh, even really get into it without, uh, you know, inevitably overlooking something awesome that has happened. But I'm just so grateful for the work from the guys like Dave and Blair, who have been doing it for several years now. Obviously, getting some of our folks back who originally worked for us. I mean, Curtis Patrick started out did a few things with Rotoviz. Mike Beers obviously did some amazing stuff uh, back a few years ago with Rotoviz to have them back doing some more of the things now. It's just, it's been a lot of fun. And, and just to go through quickly some of the, the, the cool elements we now have with the site, uh, the Dynasty Command Center joined us recently. So we have that Slack going now as, as sort of a, a free community. We've got the Command Center Rookie Guide, or three editions of that. Uh, Travis May, TJ Calkins work on that uh, with me and Curtis and Blair. That's one of the great, I think, sort of early dynasty tools. Certainly lots of mock drafts, lots of player write-ups, uh, different advanced stats articles. So a really cool guide that comes out there. Then we brought in the best ball tools from Mike and, you know, he was on overtime last week. Really, I think the premier guy in the best ball, uh, really entire landscape to have his tools on the site with the roster construction explorer, the command centers, all the exposures and ADP stuff that he has. I mean, that's unbelievably cool. If you're doing best ball stuff and haven't checked out what we have there, I would just encourage you to not even so much, you know, trying to get you to come to the site for all those things that benefit us, but simply because as a fantasy player, if you're not playing with that, I mean, you're just missing out on a lot of fun. Now it's going to help you win your leagues, but 
the wealth of information there, it's, it's really pretty hard to believe. Another cool thing, I think one of the true value-added pieces for us in the last year is having the NFL Stat Explorer now part of the web tools. Uh, something Dave Cabin originally built was one of the really big tools that he had. Mike updated that for the web last year. The visualizations and the stats that you can get on all the various players, it, it's really out of this world just being able to go there and look in so much detail and so many different types of advanced stats for all the guys. I mean, it's it's just a sort of a mind-blowing tool there. Oh, it totally is. I mean, I use the the Best Ball Command Center is incredible. Full disclosure, Sean, I had it open before we even began because I have my FFPC Best Ball Drafts running now. Uh, the, the tool's really just expansive and really can help you with your roster construction and, and how you build your teams. If you're if you're in a league right now, you've got to have that open. It's going to help you win. A few of the other you know quick little things there. The NFL Pace tool. I just got an email from uh, one of our longtime subscribers saying that have blown him away. You can go in there, see no huddle, see pace, you know seconds to snap. You can split it out for you know neutral situations, playing from behind. All these really cool things. How the teams are faced on defense. You know what this the pace is against them. Then we go to the win the flex tool from Blair Andrews, which really helps you see and some cool stuff in there was your running back, how that running back area outside the first round, you're still getting crushed if you're drafting running backs anywhere. But the first round just kind of something to throw out there. Bring that tool up. You'll be blown away. It helps you see how players are scoring or positions are scoring relative to ADP. Just a huge element for you in terms of figuring out how you want to approach your draft, what positions you want to attack when. We've got an updated DFS lineup optimizer from Anthony Shook. We've got the updated projection machine from Mike. We've got the upgraded and new running back prospect lab and wide receiver prospect lab, which really uh, was a collaboration between Dave Blair and then Mike obviously doing a lot of the work on that. Uh, Dave has done incredible work, I think, with the overall site interface and just your experience when you come to the site. It just being able to find everything you need, the look, the feel, the interactiveness. Uh, he's done a fantastic job there. And then we continue to add writers who are doing a great job. And there are so many people, I can't name all of them, but just I do want to mention Jack Miller and Samuel Wallace, who have been doing a ton of work and doing a ton of really, really good work over the last several months. Those guys definitely deserve a shout out. Lots of other guys, obviously, the people you've been reading for years, those guys are here too. It's just, it's been a blast to be involved with the site over the last year and a half, all the really cool things that are happening. Absolutely. Can't, can't agree more. And and these resources allow us to move forward and, and transition either into the questions we're going to get to you. And there's, there's a lot of pivot points, a lot of really key things that we have to break down, players and trends, as we're in June here in best ball season. The first question I want to start with is going to be basically our FFPC stat attack question. FFPC is home to the best fantasy football leagues, contests in the industry, including Dynasty Best Ball, and of course, that world-famous FFPC main event. To learn more or join a league, go to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. And of course, we have a handful of tools, like we said, at Rotoviz, specifically for that FFPC domination. And the stat attack here is going to be based around AJ Brown. Now, if you go to the FFPC best ball ADP. AJ Brown right now is going at wide receiver 14. Overall, he's around pick 43. And I'd say the low point is 27 and the high is is 56. So uh, the reason I'm bringing him up is because you are in the MFL 10 of death seven that Pat Norman runs. And looking at on social media, your draft there, Sean, you stayed true to your zero RB strategy and it has paid off well with three titles in the past four years. You are only one of two drafters this year that started without a running back in the first three rounds. Ryan Forbes did go Michael Thomas, Kelsey, and Juju Smith-Schuster. You started with Adams, Hopkins, and A.J. Brown there. So I'm curious, three stud wide receivers, that's your way to go. It's been a proven success formula for you. How do you feel about your start there in the MFL 10 of Death 7 and about your team in general? I like it. And it really depends a lot, I think, on where you get in the draft. I was looking at some info with Mike and he's going to have, uh, he's constantly working on the apps. He's going to have another few really cool innovations out here in the next couple of weeks that let you look at some other things like the win rates from different slots. And I don't think this is going to come as a surprise to anybody, but if you have a, a slot in the top four, 
the win rates are very good. If you have a slot in the middle four, your win rates are solid. And if you have a slot in the bottom four, the win rates have been very, very bad. Now, when you get a bad slot, you can't just sit back and say, well, you know, I'm not going to win because number one, some people still do. And number two, (laughs) it wouldn't be fun. So then we have to figure out, well, how do I go about attacking it? Now, we know from the best ball workshop and the roster construction explorer that if you can draft that stud running back and then hit receiver, 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 receiver after that, mixing in one of the top tight ends, that you have a very high floor and a very high ceiling. The problem that you have if you're in the second half of the draft is that you don't have that stud running back available to you. And so then your choices really are either to chase points, which I mean, that's the reason why your win rate is a lot lower. You're simply drafting players who are not going to score as many points with your most important pick, or you can move to an approach that maybe has a lower floor, but has the type of ceiling you need to win, which obviously is what you're trying to do. The thing that I did in this draft, and the thing that I've done in several of these drafts in the past, so basically I have experience with this working for me personally, but also when you go into the Roster Construction Explorer, it tells you that it will work, that it has worked for people. Now, it's not necessarily done by a lot of people. So we don't have thousands and thousands of owners that we can look to and say, okay, these drafts all did this. But it's something that's been consistent 2017, 2018, 2019, even within that small group of people who did it. So I think that that gives us some reason to believe this works beyond just the logic of it also works. Again, the win the flex tool that I mentioned earlier shows that it works. And that's simply to take a lot of wide receivers. What I did here was to take six wide receivers in the first nine rounds, also mix in one of the stud tight ends. When you do that, you shockingly enough end up with a win rate around 14%. And obviously you can do that from a bad draft slot. Right. So the guys that I got to start with there, Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, second and third last year in terms of target share. And then obviously we don't have to go into a lot of detail with those guys. We know that those guys are stars. And even if you go back to something as recently as 2018, the points per game they scored would have put you right there with the top running backs, not like a Christian McCaffrey, but everybody else and put you in position to win. And so you have that, but then you also have this sort of foundation of wide receivers. And the thing that I think people misunderstand with best ball that the roster construction explorer really hammers home, no matter how you go in there and experiment with it is that the idea that wide receiver is deep and that you can get those guys later isn't really true and, or that you just need more wide receivers than people think. And so when you get more of those stud wide receivers early, it actually helps you a lot more than loading up on the running back. Now, you know, back to the first point is if you can get one of those stud running backs and then build a wide receiver, you're going to feel more confident. You're going to feel safer. You're going to get good results. But if you can't, then my recommendation is not to chase the points. You know, I took a look at the variance there with the wide receiver twos over the last decade or so. And that has dropped precipitously. But to your point, those top wide receivers really are still head and shoulders above everyone else. So if you can get one of those top wide receivers, I I, I think it makes a, a massive, massive difference. And that's what I want to get into next. Your pods with Mike Beers, I, I had DM'd column, told him I'm on a run. I just listened to both of them. These are, are phenomenal. Really talks about roster construction and and the, the best ball command center which provides that real-time access while you're drafting and, and advice is is tremendous you talked a little bit about roster construction and about how you feel the win rate there can get up to 14 percent if, if you're in a, in a certain realm going wide receiver tight end etc but you also had some interesting thoughts that you mentioned about what happens with running backs later so there's this sort of idea that okay i missed out it's it, there's a there's a a strong top of running backs there at the start. And then if I miss out, maybe I have to make up for that in rounds four, five, six. But what you talked about with Mike, which I thought was interesting, is that may not be the case. In fact, I think the win rates you said show that if you don't chase the running backs and wait a little bit later, they actually improve. They do. And that's one of the things, too. If people who are maybe considering this wide receiver, wide receiver start when you don't have one of those top picks and then you go in and you look at that in the roster construction explorer and you see, well, a wide receiver, wide receiver start has been terrible, right? It's basically the worst start that you can have. 
But one of the reasons it is the worst start is because people then do panic or do feel like, okay, if I'm going to be competitive, I then have to pivot to running back. I've got to get a couple of those running backs, maybe in that running back dead zone. Maybe I need to take, you know, four or five within the first 10 rounds, uh, even if it's later in that top 10 rounds in order to balance that out. And that's just really not the case. Now, in those first 10 rounds, maybe you want to sprinkle a couple of guys in, but whether you have running backs early or just a, a hardcore wide receiver build, that running back three, running back four, you can wait on those guys. And it, it doesn't seem intuitively like that would be the case, but it's something that shows up both in terms of if you're looking at win rate or if you're looking at top six percentage. One of the things that I think is very interesting when you go in, and this is one of the things that Mike has added for this year, when you're looking at that top six percentage, if you're playing leagues that maybe focus more on that, those are also even much more wide receiver heavy than running back. So there are some running back running back heavy approaches that you can use that are going to return a good win rate. But if you compare those to wide receiver approaches with similar win rates, the top six percentages are actually much better for those wide receiver heavy formats. So if you're trying to draft teams and constantly push yourself into the top half, then being wide receiver heavy is even more important. So it's like in Top Gun, Sean, don't leave your wingman. Don't leave your strategy. Don't panic there. Stick to your strategy and and follow all the way through. I, I think that's solid advice. Last year, I had you on in the middle of the season. It was around week five. We talked about a couple in-game situations. So I never got to ask you this question. July 4th is right around the corner. Hamburgers, chicken burgers, hot dog, veggie burger. What do you go with? And I do have to ask if it's a hot dog, ketchup, mustard, where do you lay on, on that argument? Yeah, well, I, obviously all those things are very, very good. I wouldn't pass up any of those. I, my favorite is the buffalo burger. It's, it's the hamburger with a little bit more taste. Now, obviously, oh. you know, you, Add some of the spices to your hamburger. That's going to be great. Add some of the spices to your buffalo burger. But the buffalo burger is it's just it's a, it's a tastier burger. And so I've really gotten to addicted, addicted to that. I like to go that direction. And it's especially good with avocado, sriracha, mayo, horseradish. You get yes. those big tastes in there with that. And, and I think you can't go wrong. Uh, I think you just changed what I'm going to grill now on, on July 4th. <laughs> Very good. I want to talk to you about some running backs also that I've identified, as I mentioned before, as pivot players, the polarizing opinions in the fantasy community. Curious to hear your thoughts, best ball as well as redraft for the following players. First one is Leonard Fournette. Is he an undervalued top 10 PPR RB from last year with 100 targets? Or is he really this mercurial sort of possible cut candidate that will be siphoned severely by Chris Thompson's connection with offensive coordinator Jay Gruden. Right now, Leonard Fournette is going as the RB16 in FFPC best ball leagues. He's obviously a strange, strange guy. And I don't see any way that they can really cut him. I mean, they need his talent, even though he's one of those guys who probably isn't as big a talent as people think. You look at these people who consistently are underperforming their expectation. I think that does send a signal to us. Certainly he's one of those guys who has a terrible amount of trouble changing direction. So if you can get him downhill and it's weird because most of the guys who have that change of direction problem or really need to be downhill runners are not great. Pass catchers are not great receiving backs, certainly very different than the David Johnson's. Now Fournette is kind of this weird mix where he can catch the ball. He can bring you something there obviously underperformed in that category as well. And so I do think that Chris Thompson is going to play a big role in this offense. Fournette's one of those guys where he should still have the type of role and the offense should be enough better that if you get him at a discount and there are going to be drafts where he goes very late because the arguments against him are quite strong. If you get him falling to the end of one of those to sort of the extreme end of where his range can realistically be, I don't have a big problem with him there because his usage profile is still going to be good enough to do the same things that a lot of other guys are going to do for you who people are not concerned about. But in terms of having that upside with, you know, what's come out this offseason with them with them adding Chris Thompson, I don't think he's a league winner either. Next one, David Montgomery of the Bears. He was their lead running back last year. I think people got thrown off, Sean, because in that first game, he really didn't see a lot of touches. And then he had a lot of touches during the year that really weren't as productive. Do you think he's ready to ascend as a lead RB for the Bears? We always see a sort of a mid or later round RB1 ascend here early. He's at current RB26, or do you think he's limited upside 
And he's going to be stuck in sort of an RBBC with Tariq Cohen and, and other players as well. Montgomery is always a difficult one for me because I was skeptical of him last year. I thought he was very overvalued. And yet at the same time, you know, I don't want that skepticism or the idea that maybe I was right last year to completely color this. It's certainly way too early to take a victory lap if you didn't think uh, he was you know, going to be an NFL star. The concerns for me are that he doesn't have the NFL athleticism that we want to see in terms of the tested numbers. And he didn't have the explosiveness at Iowa State that would really suggest that he's going to be able to overcome that in the same way that maybe a Devin Singletary, who doesn't have great tested numbers either, but was just insane in college and already looks like just a true electric playmaker at the NFL level. You look at David Montgomery, he's much more in that area with Benny Snell. And yet Snell actually was also a better college player in terms of carrying this offense, you know, generating those yards. What Montgomery has really always been a cult favorite for are those broken tackles. And it's not that that is completely meaningless, but Blair's got some cool info that's going to come out, some research on this topic, really suggesting that broken tackles are overrated. They're not something that you should be chasing, certainly, and especially if broken tackles are expensive. And for David Montgomery, when the whole thesis there for him is the broken tackles, then the broken tackles get very, very expensive, and they're not going to turn around and necessarily translate into fantasy points for you. And they're not this strong signal that people sometimes think they are in terms of a guy actually being a great running back. And so those would be my concerns. The upside, I think, is that he does have a role. They don't have an early down guy. I do think that he splits with Cohen again. But I think both of those guys, especially where they're going, I mean, they're not expensive now. They could contribute to your fantasy teams. And if one of the other of them got hurt, I mean, the thing with David Montgomery is that even though he's not a great athlete, he is a good pass catcher. He can do all of the things sort of okay. And as a result of that, if something should happen to Cohen, you're suddenly looking at a massive workload on an offense that I think will be very improved. So, you know, is there a scenario where he could end up being very valuable to your team, certainly at his diminished cost now? I think there is. It's such a great point. David Montgomery last year accounted for 60.9% of the Bears' rushing yards. Just to give you a perspective, Kenyon Drake in the eight games he played with the Cardinals accounted for 60.7% of the rushing yards. So again, you're right. The volume's there. The question is whether or not he's he's going to produce enough to get some sort of justification and upside in fantasy. Next one is Chris Carson. He was the RB12 in fantasy points per game last year. Of course, he had the fumbling problems with six. Rashad Penny is recovering from the torn ACL in week 14. So, of course, it it certainly seems he will not be ready for week one. If he is, he's probably limited. They brought in Carlos Hyde. They drafted DJ Dallas from Miami. Carson was fifth in rushing yards the last two years. Where are you on Chris Carson this season? Uh, he's one of those guys who fits into the range where I wouldn't be drafting him, but I'm also not selling him on my dynasty teams unless I could get a lot for him, which, you know, you frankly can't. And so I think you sit there and take the value. He's a good running back, right? And this offense is going to be even more explosive this season. The fumbling problems don't really worry me. Now, I, I understand that in reality, they can be important. Certainly, if you have a guy like LaShawn McCoy, who doesn't seem to care at all, and you know tor- <laughs> torpedoes your you know hometown team's ability maybe to get the buy that they need uh then you know you're going to get benched you're you're going to be out of the league perhaps but again all of that really comes back to to like how good is the running back are they explosive are they helping the offense it's very difficult i think for teams to go away from guys they like who are helping the offense who just fumble a few times you know chris carson much better running back than carlos hyde i think you really have to track the injury reports because although he's not in a nearly as desperate a situation as penny if there are injury issues here i mean carlos hyde is one of those guys who keeps kind of falling into these situations where even though he himself is a replacement level player he he gains some yards and so you know if hyde ends up being the guy there in seattle for the first month i mean that's kind of an intriguing very late play The last one is near and dear to my heart because I find myself in FFPC staring at this player and not knowing what to do. Ronald Jones in Tampa Bay. 
The $64 million question, Sean, is what do you do with Ronald Jones? Now, Peyton Barber's gone. Keyshawn Vaughn is in. And there's very polarizing opinions on whether Keyshawn Vaughn is going to have an immediate impact this year or not. Jones is going as the RB34. He is going after Vaughn right now in FFPC Best Ball Leagues. Dare Ungabawale is an issue as well in the passing game, and there's rumors he's working out with Tom Brady. The running back in this offense with Tom Brady there and the weapons is certainly going to have fantasy opportunities. Is there value here, or maybe are you just avoiding this backfield altogether? I think there's value here in that Vaughn and Jones could both score a lot. And Vaughn, I think, was a spectacular value before the NFL draft. After the NFL draft now, uh, he's gotten to be so expensive for what his role really profiles. You mentioned Dari. It seems like he probably is more of a threat to Vaughn. They have all of the puff pieces. You know, Jones and his trainers and his coaches are, you know, putting out the videos of him, you know, working on his receiving. I mean, he's a guy who looked great out of the backfield, catching the ball and exploding upfield. I mean, you, you contrast some of the different players, contrast him with the Fournette, for example. Jones may not be your prototypical receiving back, but once he catches the ball, I mean, he can fly, right? And so as a first and second down receiver, I think Jones will get some receiving value. They're kind of receiving value you need to really be a viable fantasy player. I don't think he necessarily has to get a ton of third down touches in order to do that. And Jones is one of these guys who had a fantastic profile coming out of college. You know, he's very, very fast. He was, you know, super explosive at the college level, has showed some of that at the NFL level. I think someone who, even if it doesn't end up with the Buccaneers, I would be surprised if Ronald Jones does not become a starting NFL running back. The question is, you know, will it work with Bruce Arians, who's maybe a little bit prickly as a head coach? Will it work with Tom Brady, who perhaps one of those guys who's going to want to have things his way. I mean, the thing with Ronald Jones that always keeps popping back into my mind is the situation with Peyton Manning and Donald Brown back in the day where oh, you, know, you have the yes. Donald situation. Yeah. And, you know, all of us Jones fans are hoping that is not what this turns into. That's a really great point. Uh, Sean, with some great information here, we're going to step away for one second just to catch a word here from our sponsor, Bet Online. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. If you're looking for something else other than sports, BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. All right, staying with wide receivers, you wrote an article, one of the many great articles on the Rotoviz site, summarizing your rookie draft from the legendary Black Crown Dynasty League. This gives us some great insight to your view on the rookies, both long-term for Dynasty, but also maybe seasonal as well. I want to ask about your current and future thoughts on some of the picks that you made. At the 104, you went with J.K. Dobbins. And I remember last year when we we did our, our mailbag episode, you said you were not really a huge Mark Ingram guy. So thoughts on J.K. Dobbins here for seasonal league because you think he can make an impact right away. I think they can. I think that it would be surprising if multiple Ravens running backs don't score some pretty pretty big points. The concern that you might have would be, you know, when they're going to score. If you're playing in a normal redraft league as opposed to a best ball league, you might already be concerned about the frustration of okay this week i played dobbins and ingram had you know 70 yards and two touchdowns next week i benched him and dobbins had 130 yards and three touchdowns only to go back to the bench again the next week when i put him into the lineup we could see a little bit of that or we could see ingram as the main guy in the first half dobbins as the main guy as the season moves along i think for a couple of these rookies you have the potential for some sort of season that tracks what we saw from Nick Chubb two years ago and Miles Sanders last year, where they're very frustrating in the first half and then either through trade or injury or some other event, then they really become the star down the stretch. And everyone is thinking, well, you know, why didn't I have this guy? Because now he's already a running back one, you know, for the second half of his rookie year. The the problem that the Ravens have for Dobbins and several of the other, these were not good landing spots for all of the top running rookie running backs and so the problem that he has and a couple other guys have is that the offense itself and his role within the offense doesn't look like 
it's going to be a very high receiving role. And so when you don't have those receptions to put you in a situation where you have maybe the upside, not necessarily even a McCaffrey, but sort of a, a half McCaffrey or something like that. If you don't have that reception upside, then you have to score a lot of touchdowns. You have to break some big plays or you have to have very, very high usage. So it, it's tricky from that perspective in terms of ceiling. But certainly when you look at a guy with the talent that we think Dobbins has and the explosiveness of this Ravens offense, I mean, it's going to be a very big pie in terms of how many points the Ravens score. At the 106, you took CeeDee Lamb of the Cowboys. I feel like if you're looking at CeeDee Lamb versus Michael Gallup, it's become the Hatfields and the McCoys almost. Either you think Gallup's going to have a big season and Lamb's contributions are going to be minimal, or Lamb's going to really cut into Gallup's target share there. Where are you on CeeDee Lamb this year? Obviously an explosive player that sort of fell into the Cowboys' lap in the draft. Yeah, this is a tricky one because Lamb really looked like the crown jewel of this receiving class. Certainly, I think the second best player after Jonathan Taylor among the big prospects. And then you go into this team where, like you said, I mean, there doesn't appear to be a big role. Even beyond the Michael Gallup situation, I think looking a little bit more long term, the question is, you know, who is going to be the main star here between Lamb and Amari Cooper, right? I think that Cooper is a fantastic player. He's been one of our favorites. But based on even the inconsistency we saw from him last year, Lamb is going to be the guy. I think that's what the Cowboys are hoping for long term. I think he ends up as the star in this offense 2020 is going to be tricky simply because it's always tricky for rookies. It's going to be tricky when you're the number three. But And then we have all the complications of perhaps the rookies won't get as much work in this season as they usually do. Looking a little bit further down the line, I think Lamb still ends up as the real home run from this draft. At the 202, you took a player I think you're very high on, Brandon Ayuk with the 49ers. Emmanuel Sanders is out. Debo Samuel there, of course, and, and George Kittle with the number one target share among all tight ends last year. But Ayuk, year one, explosive receiver that the Niners wanted. I think you're pretty high on him. Yeah, and, and part of that is that, you know, I chat a lot with Pat Corain, who's who's very, very high on him as well. But you look at Ayuk, there are some red flags. You have the fact that this isn't necessarily an early declare. We talk on the site a lot about how the, I mean, there's just a massive gaping chasm between the way that four-year players, and now Ayuk obviously in a little bit of an unusual situation with the community college route to start with, but the four-year guys versus the early declare guys and how they translate to the NFL, what the expected points are, how they do compared to draft position. So it's not like this is a, a flawless resume. You have sort of the one-year wonder status with him there as a college player, but that one year was very, very good. His advanced number is really better than anybody else in the class for the 2019 season. Then you look at his fit with the 49ers, how they like him. I mean, they've tried to talk him up even more and I think, uh, you know, raise the expectations by telling everybody that they were looking at taking him uh, with their first pick instead of trading back up to taking him later. They're talking about how, you know, they've used some of the tracking software. They think that his play speed is even much faster than his tested speed. And then you look at this 49ers offense, which I think is going to be very underrated, is going to have more passing. We're starting to see Jimmy Garoppolo maybe uh, tick up a little bit in terms of where at least some particular owners are willing to draft him uh, in these different best ball leagues. But this 49ers team, I think they're going to score a ton of points. And Hayuk really already positioned very nicely to be a part of that. And the last one here, A.J. Dillon, you took him at the 303 there in, in the rookie draft. This is an interesting player because obviously Matt LaFleur, the Packers are moving towards more of a run-based offense and they didn't get any playmakers for Aaron Rodgers and Alan Lazard is the, the wide receiver too there. But that secondary role to Aaron Jones has been able to produce Jamal Williams last year, who I don't think anyone is really in love with in terms of a fantasy player did produce weeks six, seven, eight, and nine. The running back PPR 7, 13, 11, and 12 performance. So he did actually produce there, Jamal Williams. A.J. Dillon, do you think he could be a guy who could actually make sort of an occasional running back two contribution this year for the Packers, given that Green Bay is moving towards more of a a run-first offense? I do. And the question, I think, in terms of the rookie season is you mentioned that Jamal Williams was actually pretty solid last year, had some big games. You know, how does that depth chart look? But when you consider some of the other needs that they have, where they took A.J. Dillon anyway, and then you look at his profile where I think people assume, and perhaps in many ways rightly so, that the this 
this comp to Derrick Henry is a little bit of hyperbole. Uh, certainly, we know what Derrick Henry has done now, what he did last season and what he did at the tail end of the previous season. Uh, and to say that a rookie is going to be like that, you're thinking, well, I mean, that's obviously the best case scenario. But we also have to consider that, you know, Derrick Henry wasn't an immediate splash in the NFL. There perhaps are some red flags there. He doesn't catch a bunch of passes. And you have to be a very specific guy to be fantasy relevant if you're not going to catch passes. And there's reason to believe that Dylan may not catch a lot either. On the other hand, if anything, Dylan is more athletic than Derrick Henry. And when you look at that size athleticism profile, what he could do at the NFL level, the mismatch that he <laughs> provides to defenses, I just I think he's very, very exciting. I think this offense, even though it's disappointing, I think, to a lot of Green Bay Packers fans, what they have done. But, but you have to take the positive here, and that's that Dylan projects as a very exciting NFL player. So if you're a Packers fan, hopefully this ends up being a fun guy for you. If you're a fantasy owner, I think he's sort of a no-brainer late in best ball leagues because you've got that touchdown upside. As a rookie, if he falls, and he was a 303 here. Now, this is a, a super flex draft you're talking about, so he's not necessarily going to fall that far in just a, a normal classic draft. But when you're talking about him after some of the guys who went after him in the reality draft, who also were not as good of college players, I really do like him at that point. Six feet, 247 pounds, ran a four five three, And listen, he wasn't asked to catch a lot of passes at Boston College, but if he shows that he actually can catch passes better than, than he demonstrated with the Eagles – he could come to like a Steven Jackson type player. I, I agree with you. I don't see him as Henry, but he could get the opportunity there. And of course, Aaron Jones with the touchdown regression is certainly a possibility. We have a question here from Jerry from Tom's River. He wrote, heard you and Sean last year talk about Gardner Minshew. Great job. Really fun player to root for. I'm curious as to his thoughts on DJ Chark. Shallow depth chart. Chark exploded in 2019. Jay Gruden comes in. Seems to be a really nice upside play at overall wide receiver 22. I think so. I mean, when you're talking about loading up on receiver and doing sort of these year running back drafts, and if they're going to actually give you an advantage, when you look at this wide receiver one, wide receiver two scoring. Now you had mentioned a little bit uh, earlier in the show about sort of how wide receiver ones are scoring now, how wide receiver twos are scoring now. But even if you go wide receiver heavy, there's a limit to how many wide receivers you're going to get in that wide receiver one and wide receiver two range. And you still want those guys. And certainly, especially the guys who project to move up. And I think Chark is one of those guys. I mean, if we're talking about somebody who could be not necessarily the next Julio Jones, but a level down from that, someone who could move into that level, you know, who could be the Chris Godwin for this season, then, I mean, Chark is really it, right? I mean, someone who was absolutely fantastic last year and is just a ridiculous athlete. When you're talking about what you would look for in a receiver, when you're talking about some proven production and then this uncoverable ability, someone who is always open, who has the speed, who has the leaping ability, uh, this is just a very, very exciting player. And I think he should be going at least around before he is. And I think he's undervalued only compared to wide receivers. But then when you throw in a lot of those running backs who should not be in there pushing guys down, I mean, he's just a, a dream scenario in drafts. Excellent point with that with that flex spot. I mean, wide receiver 22, uh, this is absolutely a player that could have wide receiver overall one upside and you're getting him, like you said, a, a round or two later. I, I know you're a Lions fan. A lot have been made about the Lions having a very underrated offense this year due to the recency bias with Stafford getting injured. He's now healthy. Kenny Galladay's tremendous as a, as a wide receiver one. But I used the road of his game splits app and I saw that both Marvin Jones and Danny Amendola were really much better than people realized when Stafford was there. Danny Amendola was on pace for wide receiver 33, which may not sound like much, but if you get him basically free in most drafts, he could maybe give you some wide receiver three weeks. And Marvin Jones was on pace with Matt Stafford last year for the PPR wide receiver six. So I looked at that in the game splits app. Marvin Jones looking projected to 264 PPR fantasy points. 114 targets, 12 touchdowns, and over 1,000 yards in, in about 84 receptions. So where are you on the Lions this year in this offense? This could be, you know, with Green Bay taking a step back, the uncertainty in Chicago there with the, with the quarterback situation. This could be very under-the-radar offense there in, in that division. It will be cool to see what the Lions do. Certainly, they were much more exciting last year than they were the previous season. They've done enough weird stuff over the last several years that I think that 
it makes sense to have a little bit of skepticism. And certainly on those guys, I think that you're picking those guys at ADP. I mean, those are clear wins. There's there's nothing there. If you're thinking about trying to get them in every league, I might be a little bit more skeptical just because I think that we want to be aware that maybe these guys did outperform what we would normally expect. Maybe Stafford outperformed. I think in this particular offense, I would still want the star in Galladay. I think that Stafford becomes a very intriguing option, especially in leagues where quarterbacks are important. So you're talking about best ball leagues. You're talking about super flex leagues. You really do want to make the right choices there a little bit more so than maybe in your just uh, vanilla redraft league. And then the other guy that I really like because I think the position is more valuable and I think the upside is extreme. If you're looking at this offense, you're looking at week one last year, you're looking at where the targets are going to fall out this season. Hawkinson is a guy that unless you really don't Definitely. like him yep. for yep. some reason, I think you just, you have to try and get him. Blair's got the great information up there on the site. Year two actually is the big breakout year for early drafted tight ends. They break out earlier than, than maybe people think they do. I think, you know, there's this temptation to see like, how late can I wait? for these tight ends who are going to be big time and still get them. Can I get them after their second year? Still Hawkinson has the potential to be that next just megastar at the tight end position. You're looking at this offense as a juggernaut. I think that he makes the leap. I'm curious, Sean. So we're trying to make a, a positive out of a negative. I always try to do that. So during the quarantine, which now are starting to get lifted a little bit, what have you learned? Uh, you, have you cooked a meal? Uh, my one friend is learning how to clean the lampshade. Uh, what, what skills have you added as a result of the coronavirus? Evan said last week how to take a really quality power nap. <laughs> that, does, that does seem like a good skill to have added there. I like that. I I don't know that I've... I would feel comfortable saying I had fully added a skill yet. Certainly... Before the virus broke out and then now definitely as it's happening, I've been trying to cook a little bit more, which I think, you know, huge numbers of people are doing. I enjoy fish. The fish are healthy, you know, trying to learn how to cook the salmon, uh, definitely doing some fun things with shrimp. I wouldn't say that I have any of that solved, but (laughs) doing more of that, trying to have more salads, get those different power foods in there. I think that uh, I'm a sugar addict. And so, the thing that I've been trying to do, you know, during this time period is cut back on that as much as possible. I think that, you know, when we're dealing with a lot of the things we're dealing with, where uh, it's more emotionally difficult to handle a lot of the restrictions that are in place, you know, the better that you can eat, which is difficult to do, because the last thing that you want to do when you don't have these other methods of entertainment is also to cut down on a real pleasure in terms of having dessert. But, you know, trying to replace that with some of these power foods and, and it does help in terms of brain function and, you know, I, I don't want to be one of these people trying to push people to do uh, stuff like that necessarily. You know, have your dessert, eat your sugar. It's it's wonderful. But yeah, cooking some shrimp, having some vegetables, that would be along the lines of the direction I'm going in terms of trying to make some personal improvements there. Yeah, my kids keep going to the ice cream. I went to pineapple last night, so I kept the sweet touch, but I try to stay away from the desserts there and go with a little bit of fruit at least. One team I'm very high on this year is the Buffalo Bills. Talked with Evan last week about how we both think Josh Allen is sort of a sneaky MVP bet with his range of possible outcomes with the rushing and, and passing. I mean, he could get 10 rushing touchdowns and possibly 28 passing touchdowns. I mean, it's 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 in the range of outcomes for him. They did add Stephon Diggs in the offseason. Now, Jack Miller just posted a, a great article on the site talking about Stephon Diggs and why he may be a fade this year, even though a lot of the rankings at, at on the site there at Rotoviz have him a little higher. I find myself passing on digs in the FFPC as well. Do you think he's a value or do you think maybe, you know, with John Brown, with Allen running a lot there, Singletary, et cetera, he may not be quite as good as he was in Minnesota? This is another one where I think, I think, you know, you can see it both ways. And I think that he's a value at ADP. I think where we have him ranked and where I have him ranked on the site, then it's going to be difficult to call that a value. I mean, he's not going to outperform that by a wide margin, but I think that's a fair ranking there. I do like him better in Buffalo because I think they're going to have a more aggressive offense. They're going to make him the focal point there. Like you said, I mean, Josh Allen could be the fantasy MVP trying to get him, trying to get uh, Singletary, trying to get Moss, trying to get Diggs. I would try and own 
all of these guys spread out across different leagues. Make sure you have exposure to this offense because I think it is will it, ready to make the leap. Uh, Madison Parkhill also wrote an article on Diggs, and I would encourage people to go to the site, check those two articles out because, because both Madison and Jack have done a fantastic job with the evidence that they've marshaled for their arguments and go read those, see what you think. And you'll be very well informed on both Allen and on Diggs once you finish here. I think that someone who can make John Brown into the star he was last year is going to be able to take Diggs and put him into that truly elite category. There are so many reasons to believe that the Vikings have been holding Diggs down. I think this is the season where he emerges and finally gets more credit from everyone. Now, there are Diggs fans out there, and Madison mentions some of those people in his article. Certainly, I'm one of those. I mean, we talk about him all the time as being an elite player. I think at the end of the season, everybody will be talking about him that way. You know, you mentioned John Brown. I, I find my exposure to John Brown very high in the best ball drafts. He's dropping to round 12, 13. I mean, he's in an area there that I think he's a great value for the same reason. Listen, if Diggs performs well, sure, you're getting Brown at a, at a discount. But if Diggs, for some reason, draws attention and maybe doesn't get off to a great start, I think John Brown has a lot of upside as well. So, yeah, I, I'm with you on the Bills offense, Diggs as well. Let's get into the redraft lightning round. I'm going to give you a couple players here. I'm just curious which one you like better in seasonal leagues. So we have four scenarios here. Quarterback position, Dak Prescott or Russell Wilson? I think Prescott, we've talked about the wide receivers he has. That team is going to score so many points. Same teams, better wide receiver two this season. We touched on him a little bit. Michael Gallup with Prescott or DK Metcalf with Russell Wilson? I think Metcalf, we mentioned him yesterday on OT, talked about him a little bit. Uh, Sam Wallace mentioned him in his article. We, we really like him. Both of these tight ends here made a huge impact in their first season. Noah Fant or TJ Hawkinson? Well, I just mentioned Hawkinson and gave sort of the the extreme upside for him. Fan is a guy I love as well, but talking about a crowded depth chart, that the, the receiving weapons that they now have in Denver is going to make it difficult for any of those individual guys to have a monster season. And the last one here, I put this under the category if you had to. So you have Jordan Howard, who doesn't catch a ton of passes in it and is in an offense there in Miami that, that could struggle a little bit. Or Tevin Coleman, who is in a great running offense, but he's in a crowded backfield. Which one do you like better, Jordan Howard or Tevin Coleman? I'm going to go with Tevin Coleman. And you mentioned if you had to, I don't mind either one of these guys, although I find I usually barely miss them. Jordan Howard, not somebody I'm necessarily drafting, but I do think he's a much better reality NFL player than people realize. You go back and look at his stats compared to uh, some of the trendier players who get a lot more buzz. You'd be very impressed with what Howard has done. I know you're a big tennis fan as well, Sean. So please settle an argument for my wife and I. If you had to win one match with your life on the line between Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, both in their prime, who are you taking? This is a tricky one, and I don't know how much detail uh, people are interested in from the whole tennis perspective. But one of the things that I love about these guys is that you talk about in their primes and really very different than anything we've ever seen in tennis previously because these guys are the ultimate competitors and because of, I mean, they're the greatest players of all time and have really had that as not just a goal, but an identity from the very beginning to the point where as they aged, they managed to continue to improve their skills. I mean, tennis is one of these games that is just so intensely complex. There's so much to it. The the skill level with it is so high that if you can continue to add skills as your athleticism maybe falls off a little bit, you're going to balance a lot of that out. They've improved from a skill perspective. They've improved tactically. They're better now as tennis players than they were when they were in their athletic primes, which I the reason that I bring that up is because this is such a difficult question to answer. Obviously, Federer younger, if you overlap them at peak ages, is that when they were the best player? Now, to get to the question, I think that if you're playing this on clay, obviously, it's going to be Nadal, who could yes. basically not even lose games to Federer on that surface. When you're looking at the other surfaces, which Nadal is also very, very good at, I think that you have to give the edge to Federer there. However, you mentioned if your life depended on it, and Federer, for someone who has been really the greatest player of all time, has struggled in some of those big moments against Nadal, against Djokovic. Djokovic not involved in the question, but I think is actually better than either of them. But oh, if okay. you put okay. life on the line with Nadal 
in that big point, I think he wins that big point for you. I agree. I'm going to have my wife give you a call after because I, I agree with you 100%. There are still some dynasty rookie drafts that haven't happened. I'm just curious, give us sort of a late round rookie draft dart throw that you have, a running back, wide receiver, even a tight end like an Albert O. Someone you think you can draft late in rookie drafts that maybe has a shot to pay off, maybe not this year, but in the next few years, sort of a late round rookie pick that you think has real big upside. Yeah, it depends on just how late you want to go here. I've been surprised by, and especially if you get super dra- uh, super flex and you get some of these QBs pushing them down. Chase Claypool, KJ Hamler, those guys going, you know, early third in super flex leagues are just, uh, you know, crazy picks at that level. They could pay off pretty much right away. Got Darrington Evans, I think, at the 309 in that black Oh, good one. Yep. And I mean, he's someone Blair thinks that he may be uh, Alvin Kamara, you know, almost right off the bat, you know, injecting some of that uh, explosiveness or just giving a little bit of a change of pace into you know, that Tennessee offense, you know, think about him with Henry as sort of the, the Ingram Camara uh, duo there. And, and certainly if something would happen to Henry, that Evans has immense upside, someone who fell into the fourth round of that draft and Ryan and I both tried to trade for. Um, and unfortunately I, I didn't win the trade there. The Lynn, Lynn Bowden is someone who I think he was the 19th round pick in MFL 10 of death has some standalone value, but also, you know, if anything should happen to Josh Jacobs, then uh, where he's going compared to some of the running back, you know, and pass catching running backs who were drafted after him, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, there are some good arguments for those other players too, but I think his situation is under the radar fantastic. Better holiday in the Siegel household. You are a more of a New Year's Eve, July 4th, or Thanksgiving person. <laughs> it depends a little bit on what you're going for, but I'm going to go ahead and pick Thanksgiving for a couple of reasons. It's the holiday from those three that I'm most likely to have the, the largest group of extended family around, which is so important to me. It's a, it's a holiday where, you know, if you're at my place, then we're probably going to have buffalo burgers and uh, salmon steaks. I, I think that's a meal that probably can't be beaten. Uh, if we're, you know, going to the parents, then uh, you're going to have that traditional, just utterly spectacular Thanksgiving meal. So the food is going to be phenomenal. And then especially when you think of what's happened over the last several months, when you think of what's happened over the last several weeks, uh, when I think about the good fortune I've had with the Rotovis site over many, many years now, uh, it's just, it's so important to be grateful for what you have and to try and figure out ways that you maybe can extend that to more people. I, I think that the Thanksgiving element of, of that holiday and uh, being aware of what you're grateful for and how lucky you are is a, a big part of what makes that one special for me as well. Totally agree. It's my favorite holiday, especially during these times to be appreciative and grateful for what we have. Absolutely. I want to know who you are a truther for, Sean. Who is the player that hasn't popped yet or maybe is a little bit older now that you are still hanging on every year, even though that maybe consensus is not there? Evan said Rex Burkhead. I disclosed D.D. Westbrook. I'm still waiting for the D.D. Westbrook show. He has like two touchdowns in a preseason game. I start going crazy in my redraft leagues. So who is Sean Siegel a truther for that maybe hasn't produced yet, but you're still hanging on to hope maybe like in a dynasty league or something that you feel uh, they, they could make an impact? I don't know that I have anybody who really fits this category particularly well because you're looking, I think, for a veteran who – is maybe still on the verge, is hanging on, maybe has one more shot. I have a guy I don't think is going to make it and a guy who's maybe still too young but is in a horrible position for this year. Marquise Lee is someone I've always loved. He ah, had good one. Yeah. fleeting yeah. moment where it seemed like he was going to do something. They actually chose him over Allen Robinson, which was an epic mistake because then he went right back to being completely injured forever. 
you'd like to think that maybe being at least signed temporarily to the Patriots would be a good sign. I think it's maybe a tricky uh, situation when you talk about trying to learn a difficult offense, being incorporated into a new team, have an unproven quarterback. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't even say that I'm drafting him. He's hard to hold on to in your super deep dynasty leagues for that 30th roster spot. Uh, so it's not something where I'm saying go out and get him, but I will be following what he does there and, and interested to see maybe a little bit more relevant, although still probably not very. Royce Freeman is a guy I think the Broncos quit on too soon, didn't put in Mm -hmm. a good situation. I think if he had been in the offense that they're going to have for this coming season and had been allowed to be what he is, which is sort of a poor man's David Johnson, uh, someone who you know, can break some tackles, can break some long runs if he gets to the second level, is a very underrated pass catcher. But you know, what they were doing there with the offense, it was just a terrible offense, right? And you really needed Philip Lindsay's just fantastic electricity breaking through that first level, making the big chunks on the second level. And so I'll be interested to see. I'm not ever rooting for anybody to get hurt. I want Melvin Gordon to have a fantastic year. I've been drafting Lindsay. I think that he is undervalued. I think both of those guys can score. Uh, if something would happen, it'd be interesting to see Freeman this year. Certainly if he moves to a different team later on. I mean, the history for guys like that isn't particularly good. I mean, running back is very, very much a young person's position. But but he's a guy I still think is a, a better player than maybe uh, the situation is allowed for. Sean, this has been incredible stuff here. Can't thank you enough. One more question, then we'll let you go. I want your bold prediction, uh, something that you think this year that you can read the tea leaves that you can see happening, you know, maybe a player or a situation now that you're taking advantage of in best ball drafts that by the time we get to redraft and seasonal drafts, maybe it's going to be, you know, exposed or obvious. Give me a bold prediction, something that you, you think a team or a player that could really come true this year in the 2020 season. Well, real quickly, let me plug our 100th episode on overtime where we yes, got yes. some yeah, some little clips from uh, Pat, Pete, Ben, Davis, Matt. Listeners to Rotovis shows will know who those guys are. And they gave bold predictions for us for that show that were just insanely fun. They were – they had – all this advanced evidence for their bull predictions. And then they made these claims about guys that were wonderful. I mean, what they did for that show, I can't thank them enough. And if listeners are interested in bold predictions that have some good foundation in reality, but also are going to give them a huge leg up in their fantasy drafts for this season, uh, go check that show out. You, you won't be disappointed. It was truly uh, one of the most fun things that we've done. Now, my pick, I'm going to go ahead and say, and there's going to be some Chiefs homerism in this one. Uh, a lot of people know that I grew up in Kansas City, and, and when we finally broke the playoff curse last year, it was one of the most fun things from a sports perspective that, that I've ever gotten to experience. But we're going to look at McCole Hardman, right? This is a guy who went for 538 and 6 on 41 targets. Now, I mean, he's not going to maintain that rate as the targets go up, but, but think about how little he needed to be someone who would have made an impact for you if you had been a late round pick on your best ball team last year. 538 and six on 41 targets. The Chiefs did some weird stuff last year, considering how fantastic their offense was. From week eight on, he only played in 31% of the snaps. 31%. Now, There's some obvious concern, I think, about the return of Sammy Watkins. There was some talk that maybe he would be released. Certainly, Demarcus Robinson, when he was re-signed, people did not expect that to happen. And now there are a lot of folks, and you know, justifiably so, who are thinking, okay, maybe the breakout is going to be suspended or delayed for a season. I don't think that that's the case. Been reading a little bit about the Chiefs taking him off of special teams because he's going to have a more expanded role in the offense. I think if you got a guy who's playing in that 31 to 50 percent of the snaps range, then you don't need to worry about him taking off special teams. I mean, he can do that and run out for you know every third play and still be fine. Um, you look at Hardman here. You've got a guy with unreal speed. It's not speed at the Tyreek Hill level, but you know nobody's is. You've got a situation where the defense simply can't focus on him, right? You've got Hill. You've got Travis Kelsey. You maybe have an exciting rookie who's going to force teams to both focus on the running game and certainly focus on 
the running back out of the backfield in the passing game. If they don't, Edwards Alaire is going to have a thousand yards receiving. So there's really no way in which he can be a defensive emphasis. And with that being the case, almost regardless of what his targets are, but if you if he becomes that number two guy in this offense, twelve hundred and ten is not out of the question. Right. When you're talking about Hardman being someone who will be up there, who could be up there, I'm not saying that he will be, but for a bull push up there with Hill as a draft pick the next season. And I mean, he's not free by any stretch. You're going to have to use a single digit pick on him in most competitive drafts. You don't have to pick him as high as I usually pick him, but you know, there are going to be, there's going to be some opportunity cost here, but with his insane upside and certainly in a best ball league where you have even less concern about like, which week will it be? I, I, I've been adding him pretty much everywhere. That's a great, great call, especially with Watkins being so untrustworthy up and down. Excellent call there by Sean Siegel. Really appreciate it. Folks, Sean Siegel, co-owner here at Rotoviz, OG at Rotoviz, incredible fantasy football mind. He's got more titles than I have years on this earth. Just did an outstanding job for us as always. Follow him on Twitter at FF underscore contrarian. Sean, thank you so much for coming back on the mailbag. It looks like the season is going to happen, maybe a shortened preseason, but certainly a lot of positive vibes now getting back into uh, some of the sports that we enjoy watching and love. Certainly fantasy football here. Very exciting for all of us. Definitely. And excited to have the mailbag back. One of our most fun shows. Everybody, obviously you're here, you're checking out Mike, but make sure you come every week. It's a show you don't want to miss. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the fantasy football mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio and at randallrant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in.